Has your local footy club had a recent clangor or challenge? Well, Amy is here to help. The Amy Clangers for Good competition is back for 2024. This year, Amy are donating $10 for every clangor recorded during the AFL season with eight community clubs in the chance to win up to $15,000. If you want your club to go into the running in 100 words or less, tell us how Amy can help your club bounce back from a recent challenge. Enter now at amy.com.au forward slash clangers for good. That's amy.com.au forward slash clangers for good. T's and C's apply. Cobram Estate is the most awarded Australian extra virgin olive oil. Let it be the hero when entertaining family and friends. Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil is fresh and full of flavour. Perfect for roasting, frying, baking, dressing salads and for dipping bread. Make your food taste even better with a little help from Cobram Estate. Premium quality, great tasting and a versatile, healthy alternative. Buy in store at all major retailers. G'day guys, this week on the pod, Paul Marsh, the CEO of the AFL Players Association. This was a really cool chat. I really enjoyed this. For those who have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know, I'm a massive fan of the AFL Players Association, so it was really cool to sit down with Paul and and chat all things AFLPA and explain, you know, to everyone what they actually do. I know we hear a lot about them. Um, whether that be sort of negotiating the uh, player agreements with the AFL and the AFLPA for the AFL players, whether that be AFLW or AFL, but they're such a cool organisation that help so many athletes um, throughout their time playing footy, but more importantly, post-football, which has been really, really cool. And I know today I wouldn't be where I am without a lot of their love and support. So it's cool to sit down with Marshy. He's an absolute legend. Um, he's got a really cool story in itself. And there's some awesome tips in here about for anyone listening about negotiation. Obviously, this guy, it's his job. He's negotiating the best deals possible for the AFL players and the AFL community. So some really cool chats. And we also go head-to-head on a few things too, uh, which is really cool. We clash. We agree. And uh, most importantly, we love each other. So, Ely XX, hope you enjoy this chat. Thanks, Paul Marsh. Thanks, AFLPA. Thank you all. Enjoy. Hi, fam. It's Dylan's mum, Deborah. This is Dylan Friend. He gives you a back rub. This is, you know, you're going well, Brian. Oh, it's special. Get comfortable and uncomfortable. Just keep showing up and find a way. Cam was so nervous he couldn't swallow water. Handing him a sheet of paper with six names and said, Sheet, we've got to cut these six blokes. Wow, shut up. I've just been barbed by a stingray, mate. I'm just yelling, well, you saved my life, you saved my life, you saved my life. Thank you, thank you. I spent the last, I think it was a couple of weeks in jail. The deepest, darkest moments often bring about our biggest highs. Marshy, welcome to the show, mate. How are you? Deal. I'm bloody excited to be here, mate. Thanks for having me. This has been a long time in the making. We're uh, we've been we've known each other a long time now. We have footy days. Yep. Coming out to the clubs, talking. Yep. Too um, much sometimes. No, you're talking great. You're doing great things down there. And then recently we had a game of golf together. We did. That was uh, nice to take you up to one of my um, courses that I love up at Cathedral. And um, I must say, we did we play 36 that day. Yeah, we did. Um, you were very excited um, after you hit that first tee shot, you know, about 100 metres down the right-hand side into a part of the course I'd never seen anyone hit at. I was thinking this is going to be a long day, but we, we did have a fun day. So. No, we did. We did. And um, yeah, that was the early days, man. I think we're going to have to revisit that because I'm in better form these I've days. I've, I've been watching you on Instagram. It looks like you're starting to get it together. So, yeah, yeah we'll come yeah, back up there at some point. Still got to move those hips, I've been told, in the comments they, they go really hard on me. I'm like <laughs> one of those sort of late-to-the-game AFL players when they have the unorthodox kicking section. Yep. Yeah, it's just good analogy. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there. (laughs) Hey, I just heard this before. Before we get into the incredible thing you're doing with the PA and in your career and everything like that, off the top, I was not going to bring this up. Then I was like, I've got to fucking bring it up because I love talking about it. Have you actually hit four hole in ones? I've had three hole in ones. Um, Three hole in ones. Two on a par four. Two on par fours, yeah. I don't reckon many people would have done that. (laughs) That's unbelievable. I didn't didn't set this up, did I? But um, I'm glad you raised it. I did have one on a simulator as well. So does that count, do you think? So you've had three plus a simulator. Three plus a simulator. I I think four, but not everyone will give me the four. Talk us through just the three real ones. I've done it. I've I've tried to sort of cross the country. So my first one was in Perth, the the course. I grew up in Perth, um, Netherlands Golf Club, par four. Um, as the years have gone on, I've said it was about 350 metres. It was probably about 290, but I knocked it in. Um, so that was my first. I then moved to Adelaide. I had one on um, a par three, which is, you know, I don't really count that one anymore. Um, and then the third one, um, which I'm now at Victoria Golf Club, uh, the first hole is a par four, about 230 metres, and I actually slam dunked a driver into the hole. 
Um, so that's probably one that um, that I talk about the most these days. I've actually played that course, and that's not a drive. It's not really a hole that you'd use a driver on, is it? No, and, I, and I, funnily enough, I don't these days. But back then, I did, and um, mm. you know, ultimate reward. Okay, I know you got a hole in one there, but I actually birdied that first. I would did say. you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, yeah. that's two worse than a hole in one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is really, isn't it? Uh, hey, let's move on. Um, people would obviously know who you are, but uh, a lot of people might know you as Gill's uh, arch enemy. <laughs> How does that is that true? How does that sit with you? Well, depends on depends on what we're doing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think we yeah. I mean, we've had our moments of, <laughs> of difficulties as we work through different different issues. But I do think we you know there's been some really difficult issues to deal with, and you know, COVID obviously springs to mind, and CBAs and other issues. And it's um, I think we've always managed to find a way through. And you know, my view of um, how to work with, in this case, the AFL is to try to partner. Um, if the game's strong, the players are strong, and that's certainly a way forward. But partnership doesn't mean just doing exactly what, in, in this case, the AFL want you to do. It's about understanding what the players want and obviously trying to find a, a happy medium where, you know, we, we get what we not, we want, but the game can move forward. Mm. We'll, we'll get into the negotiations of that later because it's something that really uh, interests me. And I suppose from my point of view, when I was playing footy, I just had no idea how much you guys were actually doing for us. And I think that's a, a message that you're, you know, constantly trying to, to send to the players. And now I know, you know, I'm yep. such an advocate for what you guys are doing. I can't thank you enough. Uh, you and the team enough for everything you are doing for the players. And we'll get into today what that actually is. Because to be honest, I don't know this. And I think the AFLPA has done a great job in educating the public and the players and what they do. But I think today we'll give the listeners a really good understanding of what the association is actually for, what it does for the players in the game. But more importantly, from my point of view, what it does for the players post-game. Yep. Um, which, uh, again, I've been able to reap a lot of those um, systems and processes that happen and I'm more than happy to go into you know my own story and family yeah. story with those sorts of things too which will be really interesting to go through which we will we'll touch on in a bit um, but how are you finding the season this thus far I didn't know you know you do hide your uh, nuffiness I suppose well <laughs> but I didn't realize until now knowing you outside of footy that you are a bit of a nuff uh, you're a Port Adelaide man which well, you, that doesn't mean I'm enough. Well, just you're I'm a super coach, Nuffy, as well, which well, that's a bit weird, to be yeah. honest. Like, you're the CEO of the I, AFL. I wish that you didn't bring that up. But <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> that is weird. Well, I tell you what, we are within the AFLPA. Um, we're a very competitive bunch, and there are certain things that we all engage in, and that's one of them. So um, there's no point in banging it to come second, is there? So <laughs> I'm very competitive. Um, just need a few of my boys to stand up this year. Talk us through your team at the moment. Who have you got? Who's your favourite team, players? Actually. Pretty good team. I've got a couple of injuries, but, I mean, I've got Bontempelli, I've got Dawson, I've got – who else have I got? Um Josh Dunkley in a in a controversial trade last week. I've got Ben Guthrie's brother Cam Guthrie at the moment, who's um, who would like to get back. So there's some good players in there. Um, I know you're looking at me like I'm very strange, that's but great. I love uh, it. look, it's it's competitive, and that's what I like about it. And it's something to talk about during for, the week. Yeah, for some reason I've never I haven't fully ever got into it, but it sounds like something I'd like. Talk us through. Can you can you give us a couple of players that have really let you down this season? As well? <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. doing that. They're all they're all my members, and I love them dearly. Do you get on the DMs and abuse them? In, oh, never done that. Yeah, never no, done that. It's not even but, a joke. Um, it's not funny. No. And favourite plays in general. Have you got any – Talk me. just tell me about your favourite plays in the AFL at this stage, even if they're not good super – you know, we weren't all good super coach no, plays no, but no. still I, had some love I, I didn't out there. I didn't even consider picking you up, to be yeah. honest. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, you weren't doing the needle, no, were you? No, I wasn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, look, the, the players that I work most closely with are yep. our board and our delegates and so you form strong relationships, you know, with those players. Um, so that's kind of probably where I'm at. Paddy Dangerfield's been on our board ever since I've been at the PA. He's been our president for a number of years. Phil Davis has been there, um, you know, the likes of Darcy Moore and Tom Jonas. And then we've got our W board members as well. Um, so Karen Harrington and Cat mm. Phillips and Annalise Lister um, and Izzy Huntington, Ed Kuno's in there. So like, there's a lot of players that I meet with and talk to a lot. Uh, and then each of the clubs have a couple of delegates and there's there's guys that have been doing that. Tom McDonald from Melbourne, for example, has been doing that for as long as I've been in the role. Mm. Um, so they're all, you know, they're probably the ones I've got the strongest relationships with, but you know, they're all, all the, all the players are great people. Talk us through Paddy. I know you've got a closer relationship with him and for people that see the, uh, on channel seven and, and what he does on the field, obviously have, you know, an incredible opinion of him already on his game. Yeah. How impressive impressive is he off the field and how far do you think he can take his, you know, business acumen off the field when he's done with footy? Where do you see him in what sort of role? Yeah, he's – so answering your first question, I, I couldn't be more impressed with him. And I think he's grown a lot 
over the years. Like he's always had confidence. Um, he's intelligent. But what I think he's become is a real statesman of the game. Mm. Um, he's got that rare ability, I think, to be able to take a courageous and strong position on behalf of the players but still remain um, revered by the mm. game and maintain strong relationships at head office and, and all the rest of it. So I, I've got a lot of respect for the way he's gone about it. He's personally been a terrific support for me and the team at the PA. Like if we need support from the players or the board, um, he's always at the forefront of that. So huge amount of respect. I, I think he could do whatever he wants. Mm. Um, he's intelligent. Uh, he just did a course at Harvard late last year. Like he's a smart guy. So I would expect he'll – I, th I think he would like to get into a footy department – post footy um i could see him running a footy club or even the afl at some point so he's, wow. he's got a big future that's exciting mm. didn't realize he was that smart good on you <laughs> good on you patty speaking of you mate uh, before we get into the footy stuff going back a little bit your family your growing up um i thought you did grow up in adelaide but funnily enough you said it was in perth yeah first. in perth yep. so you're the son of rod marsh yep. uh, australian test cricketer yep um incredible guy obviously beloved in the cricketing community incredible figure unfortunately uh, passed away recently. Yep. Um, firstly, how was that for you? Obviously an incredibly tough time, but what I suppose legacy is, as he left you and what have you learned from him the most in, in your career today? Yeah. I mean, he's probably the, without, with all due respect to my mum, he's probably the biggest influence on my life. And, you know, it was a real shock. It happened so quickly. Um, he was actually up in Bundaberg. He just arrived in Bundaberg, actually helping out the, the Queensland sort of career community. And um, I was in a meeting. Mum called. I had like four missed calls from mum, and then finally got to, to talk to her. You know, to, for her to tell me he had a heart attack. So we got up there. Um, this is when all the floods were going on. So mm -hmm. it was a nightmare trying to get up there. And then obviously we're with him for the last few days. Didn't properly get to say goodbye, which is you know was has always probably haven't properly dealt with it to be honest but um you know it was just it was really hard to deal with but then on the flip side of that I guess the, the coming together of all these people who we love and were close to him um you know his his funeral was amazing really um having to get up there and talk at that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do but just looking out across the room of all these people that had traveled from all around the place to to actually pay respects was very touching and I think my overwhelming feeling at the time and I spoke about it was just sort of around pride and gratitude. I mean, we've, I've had a great life, you know, largely thanks to what he and mum have been able to do. And, um, I think he's imparted good values on myself and my two brothers. Um, you know, we got to experience a lot of fantastic things. You know, we had, um, you know, I inherited probably some of his weak points as well, which, um, you know, you work through, but I think, you know, it's just, it's been a huge loss for us over the last 12, 12 months, but I always, you know, when I think about him, I always, it's, it's always good things and, you know, you're very lucky to have that. And, you know, a lot of people lose people very close to them and it, the reality is it's coming for all of us mm. unless we go first. So, you know, just make sure you enjoy the moments you got with the people you love because it can happen really quickly. And in, in our case, it did. Yeah, I appreciate you opening up, mate. It's a, it's a it's a really tough situation, obviously, and I'm not I'm not huge in the cricket community, but I saw the hurt that the whole you know team had, including the recent um, test teams and everything. And the it must be incredibly heartwarming seeing um, how nice you know that was for him. On a lighter note of having a successful father, I was going to say as well, how's it been sort of growing up with a with a successful father like from what i've heard there's some stress that comes with that and especially if you don't sort of live up to well, how good they were you've had, like, to, deal, you've had to deal with that um and look look at your sporting career versus mine you've done a lot better than me despite my you have uh, four ones, though. <laughs> yeah, well you know that's true um but i mean i think i i, I get this question all the time and I don't know it any other way. So, mm. you know, that was our life and, you know, we're really lucky to, you know, every year we used to travel from Perth to Melbourne and Sydney for the t summer of Test Cricket. We went to England once when he was playing. That was just what we were used yeah. to. Being in the change rooms and family dinners sort of with all these sort of like who yep. sort of what sort of players were around at your family barbecues. Yeah, I mean, growing up in Perth, it was, you know, the Lily family and mm. um, the, you know, the, the WA players were very, very tight. We had a... I went to Adelaide a few weeks ago for the anniversary of Dad's passing, and Dennis and Helen Lilly and um, Bruce and Lorraine Laird came over. So Bruce obviously played with Dad for a long time. They came over, and we had a you know had a really nice lunch and memory. That, that those relationships are really tight. You know the Brayshaw family and Brayshaw, and I'm lifelong friends with James and Mark Brayshaw, and and so you know that's 
it was our childhood was basically hanging out with the, the cricketers. And at one point, believe it or not, the WA had seven players in the test team, right? So there was a lot of household names and mm. that was our, our childhood, um, mm. which was fantastic. How did you get into the business world? Working, oh, sorry, obviously going to school, education. Yeah. Was it always a pathway for you to want to become a, a CEO? Was that, an, was that an option? Did you actually have the goal of that? Like, do you start it out at Port Adelaide? Yeah, in, I mean, marketing? I, I think people who knew me going through university, I was quite good at school. Yeah. Um, once university came and there was freedom, I did bugger all for a couple of years. I was hopeless. I, was, I did everything that I'm telling my son who's just started uni not to do. Mm. But I probably got that out of my system, had a few jobs, but then got a, an opportunity at Port when Port came into the league. And I think that was for me, I started to learn about hard work. You know, footy clubs are hard, it's it's hard work, and particularly a club that was just getting started. So that was um, a pretty pivotal moment for me. Was there for four and a half years. You know, got some promotions. Was in marketing. Started off selling sponsorship, believe it or not. So you know, that was actually for me was almost like, okay, this is how this is what you're gonna need to do. You work hard. It's a hard market. Um, had some success. Um, was there for till 2001, and then. Um, I wanted to get into cricket. That was obviously the the background and I had a passion to do that and I was really lucky to, to find an opportunity in cricket, which was you know, a great period of my life. That was pretty small, wasn't the Cricket Association when you first started? Yeah, it was. How um, big was it to then what it grew to when she left? Yeah, so 2001, I mean, I, the, the guy that ran the Players Association, the Australian Cricketers Association, who started, a fellow called Tim May. So he played test cricket for Australia for a number of years, really smart guy, real mentor to me. I knew him a bit. I'd caught up with him for a beer about a year before I ended up working there and said, look, I want to get into cricket. You got any leads for me? Help me out. Introduced me to a few people, and then a year later, he said, "Do you want a job?" And I was like, "Bloody oath, I do!" <laughs> so, um, at that point, there was only three of us. Wow. Um, and we were doing a lot. You know, this was even before email, and it was. You know, you think about what we did with what we had was was significant. We actually shared an office when I first came over from SA to Melbourne with the AFLPA, which is interesting, up in the Rialto. So we started off with three. I was there for 13 years, um, CEO, I think, for about nine and a half. And I reckon by the time I left, we might have had about 18. Wow. So there was decent growth and obviously big big industry, lots of issues. Um, and I think it's grown pretty significantly in the, in the decade since. For those who might not know, there's a two-part question. For those who might not know what an association does for a sport, like a, for a group, yep. what is that? And two, what were some of the things you're most proud of that you were able to fight on behalf of the players, uh, the cricketers yep. in that early journey yeah. um, for the cricketers that weren't accessible to them early days? Well, I think if, what issues were you to, facing? To the, yeah. to the first question, what does an association do? I mean, the sort of the foundation, the building block really is let's get an agreement in place mm. with the game that locks in what the players get paid, you know, what does their holidays look like? What is how are we going to look after them off the field? What do they have to do appearances wise and how can their images be used and and you know, all those types of things. So yeah, I mean we are effectively a union, right? Yep. Um, I think probably a bit more sophisticated than a lot of where the union movements got yes, to. Yes, yes. Um, because, because of this real focus in, uh, you know, off field and after, after career. So that's, it, it's pretty all encompassing. You know, the expectations of the players are significant, as you know, mm. and like we work for you guys. So a part of this is, well, what do you need? What are the things that are emerging? And, you know, an, an issue, like, I know we'll talk about mental health, but an issue like that was probably not on our radar 15 years ago. But it's become off the back of the players saying we need some support and then our job is to go away and, and find the right resources and support systems for the playing group. So it's evolved a lot over that time and it's come off the back of the needs of the players. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about that now. Like for me as well, especially being on the other end of that and, and what was accessible to me, some things that I wrote down before that um, I've been, you know, super proud to be a part of the AFLPA, super proud of what they've been fighting for. And I suppose of late, you know, I really accessed a lot of these things towards the end of my career. And if not, I've actually accessed them more post-career than I did when I was in the game. Yep. I think I'm the only two-time player to go to a abduction camp as well, which <laughs> is basically like there's an induction yep. into the AFL, which is when the, you know, the draftees go, then there's an abduction when you get like delisted or you finish. And I went to two of them, yeah, you did. Um, which I was pretty proud of. Uh, they, I don't think they've come back since COVID, but I've actually, 
I think you capped me at three. Yeah. So well, technically I've got one more that I'm still allowed to attend. I still think we can get there for three. Okay, we'll get yeah. there for three. But yeah, some of the things like the mental health uh, programs, the hardship funds, retirement funds, education grants throughout time being past and present players um, have been incredible for me personally in that yeah. time. What do you, so question back to you and I'll yeah. talk about it. Yeah. But, you know, when you look at all that, um, what drew you to actually accessing the services in the first place and, you know, how comfortable have you been? Because I think that's one of the barriers sometimes is players not feeling comfortable tapping into the services. For sure. So to give even people further, like, context on how it works, each year you guys will come out and do a presentation, uh, your whole team will come out and do a presentation and so on, build relationships with each club. Um, talk about, you know, where we're at with certain negotiations that we're trying to get from the AFL, what, you know, we're trying to fight for. Um, we also keep reminding us on what things are available, whether that was like the education uh, grants that we get. So I don't know what it's at now, but, you know, we probably had access to $5,000 a year each in education, um, which to be honest, at the start, I thought that we'd get that money back even if we didn't complete the course. But uh, <laughs> I, I later found that you had to complete yeah, it to do. get the money back. So yeah. I think I wasted a bit of money on some education <laughs> stuff that wasn't finished. And that was probably what, to, to my extent, early what I was doing was just some short courses. Um, but for me, I suppose later on where it really came into fruition was when I uh, finished footy, the outduction of like how to transition out of the game was a big one. Um, it's where I met my business partner, Baldy. Yep. Um, unfortunately, sort of stole him from from you guys. Um, had a great relationship with Mick Jamison and uh, Janine and Cav and all the crew down there. And they basically taught me how to set up my own business. Yep. Um, and I don't say that lightly. Like without your team, I wouldn't have had uh, what we have now today at, at um, Producey. Uh, on the other front as well, you know, I've been proud to say that I have definitely accessed the, the mental health um initiative that's been really, really lucky for me. And I suppose till recently, I didn't realize how lucky I actually was to have this scheme being that, you know, for general public, I know I, I didn't realize how hard it was to actually access um, psychologists and psychiatrists yep. and doctors um, where, you know, there is a hotline which any player can call to access to a mental health, uh, you know, Matt McGregor formerly, who was, you know, a great friend of mine and and my dad's um, now that's put us in touch with professionals to help with certain bits and pieces. So for me, you know, having that access, um, having, you know, bills taken care of to have the best form of care when we're finished and especially, you know, with dad's story that's been public, the amount of help that, you know, I've had to come to the PA with him um, to support us has been, yeah, pretty incredible. Yeah, and I think that's a, and I appreciate you sharing that because the way we structure up is that I don't even know which players are, or past players are going through our support service. It's all confidential. It's obviously all paid for. But this is, you know, the reality of what sport is doing now is it's taking young men and women, you know, from school and putting them into a system that is not normal um, and not normal in good ways, but also not normal in, you know, some probably some negative ways as well. So I think we've got a duty as an industry to support our players uh, and get them ready for what comes after sport. I mean, I remember a past player saying to me a few years ago, when you think about the journey that you guys are on, like you spend your childhood trying to master a sport that, you know, depending on how good your career is, you might never use again after 25 mm. or 30 if you're good or 21 if you, if you get delisted early. And so you've spent your first quarter of your life actually building up to that and then it's gone. And so we have, we have a responsibility to provide support to help with the next phase and transitions are really challenging part of, you know, you, you could share your stories around that, but we see it time and time again. And so we, we've got a support and, you know, we take a lot of pride in what we do there. I think the, the, the other credit that the Players Association has been really, really good at is actually helping transition athletes. And this, this isn't just for AFL players, but in general, how employable athletes are. They have work ethic, they have drive. Yep. Maybe they haven't had a, a tertiary education that's fully like anyone else, but they're very employable skills. And I suppose for me leaving, I was never a confident in school. Like I wasn't great at learning, holding you know information. But what I did realize was I've worked in an environment for eight years with sponsors, membership, fans, you know, I've had discussions with CEOs and actually got educated on you're actually more qualified than you think you are yeah, than, than anyone else, which a, is what we need it's to. It's a great message yeah. too. And I, I mean, we employ a number of ex-players in there or even a couple of current W players. I think you had half of Carlton's list for yeah, we uh, did. a while there. Which, you know, a bit like Carlton, we've culled a few. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think one of the things I find with athletes is they crave feedback and they and they respond really well to it, and I think that's not always the way in the workplace. Like I, I've loved the the former footballers we have working for us at the PA because of that. 
you know, they want to get better all the time. And, um, you know, I just, any employers out there listening, like think about that as an attribute because it's quite rare. Do you see still um, a lot of employers still coming to you to talk about players that you'd recommend post footy that are looking yeah, for jobs bit, and stuff like there's that? There's a bit, you know, I've had a meeting yesterday afternoon, for example, with one of the AFL's major sponsors and they actually said, look, we'd, we'd love to get some more footballers working mm. in our business. So that's all part of the, the hustle of what we're trying to do is create opportunities for our players. Um, transition is really difficult, as I said, but I guess the more options, we, we, we have a really strong view that this is a part of your life that we've got to give you the skills to navigate yourself rather than just doing it all for you and that's a big point of and i don't i don't want to i suppose for me you know i've, I've had my own story and it's hard to to judge but i do get frustrated when there maybe has been past players that speak ill of of things that are happening it's maybe in a in a blunter term we can't just have our asses wiped for us our whole life there has been there has to be a part where you have to grow up and that's not just in football but that's yeah. in in life in general yeah um and i think to realize how much hard like how much easier it is this support i'm well aware this doesn't happen for the general public and you have to be so blessed to actually have someone that's going to help us out uh, yeah but i think your and i couldn't agree with that more and your story is one of that you shared that you know we're we're able to provide you with some support services but you did it, you know, and that's the perfect outcome for us. It's actually help you with the tools, help you with the contacts, but you got to do it because at the end of the day, you know, you're in the system for a short period of a long life, hopefully, and you've got to get on top of this stuff yourself. So that is our mantra is give you the skills to self-navigate what comes next. Yeah. Um, and Teach them to people, fish. 100%, mate. Yeah. You know, which you've done yeah, to your well, credit. Yeah, sometimes. Um, <laughs> what else, is there anything else worth speaking about in terms of things provided for players that I'm, I'm missing? Because I've probably accessed them, but I just sort of forget. Yeah, you probably have. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you named a number of the things, you know. That you're uh, proud of, I suppose. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm proud of most things that we do. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing about a player association, it was the same in cricket, same here, is everything that you get in place for the players is hard fought. Like it really is. It's a journey from, if you think about where the PA started, the first battle was car parks at games. Mm. And now we're at a point where we're dealing with some really sophisticated stuff. Um, and so I'm proud of the journey that's been, that we've been on since pre-me during my time and, and post what I'll do. I think, you know, having a retirement account set up for players to help them with, you know, with what's coming next, insurance policies set up so that if the worst happens to a player on the field, we've actually got you know, protection in place, hardship for those guys that are doing it really tough. Um, as you say, money for study, tapping into the mental health network. Um, there's lots of different things. And then there's what we deal with game, you know, week to week, you know, where I think I've no doubt that if it wasn't for player associations, that the games we all play wouldn't be as safe as what they are. We wouldn't be getting, players wouldn't be getting paid as much, but nor would the game be as economically well off is what it is. Well, that's the journey we've been on. You know, I don't think women's sport would be anywhere near it where it is. So that's the big picture is we've actually been able to disrupt and push and actually make the game better as a result of it. Yeah, for sure. Things as well uh, that's, that's a big one at the moment that I know you're extremely passionate about is the racism yep. that's uh, been, you know, pretty uh, prevalent in the game of late, um, especially from more crowd interaction than, yep. than on field. But there's been a lot of steps forward made in that. There's still a long way to go, obviously, but that's been something that's high on the agenda of the PA for a long time. Yeah, there has. And it's, it's sad in a sense we have to talk about it because it's yeah. it just it shouldn't be happening in today's day and age. But I th And I think what happens when you bring as much attention to these issues as what we are doing now is that they are more in focus and it feels like there's a bit more of it going on. But I do think it's starting to dissipate a bit. Um, and I think the, the, the hope is that the next generation actually see that this is not right yeah. and we actually see some change. I know the players feel more supported now in this space, so that's good. The industry has jumped in behind, you know, calling it out, providing support, putting the right people around the players. But, you know, when you have a referendum like we're having this year, it will spike. There'll be more racism and we'll be dealing with it, unfortunately, for a bit longer. But, you know, we'll keep fighting the good fight there because it's too important not to. 50 years of the AFLPA. Yeah. 1973. You said before, first uh, one that they were fighting for was tickets at games. I think Baldy was feeling before. It was ticket for games, getting boots paid for. Yeah, car parks. Making sure people got paid. Yep. Car parks. I still can't get a car park. I couldn't get a car park sometimes, <laughs> to be honest. But um, it's come a long way. What are in the next negotiations? What's going to be rife? What's at the top of the list of things to get? Yeah, well, we're right in the thick of that at the moment. Uh, so, I mean, we're, there's a few things we're trying to do. We're trying to actually bring 
both the men's and the women's into one deal. Yep. So, you know, that's something that's high on our agenda. Um, obviously, we're looking for better deals for both. But to pick up the point on racism, like we think the game is in a good shape at the moment from a financial perspective. It's flying, new broadcast deals, et cetera, um, crowds, attendances, memberships, everything's great. But we have, we've got some issues around race, around gender, around health and safety, particularly from a past player's perspective. So we're trying to put some things in place to deal with those issues. And that's a big part of the discussion. Um, I think we've always got a challenge to stay ahead of our competitors. So uh, cricket, for example, has really, I think, taken a leadership role around the women's game. Yep. Um, we need to keep pace with that. And so there's a big discussion around how we're going to do that going forward. So they're some of the big issues, but we also have a view that the game needs to look at you know, how the competitive balance mechanisms are working. Right? The whole thing's been set up on this sort of point of equalisation. Every team should have the equal chance of winning. <clears throat> and I think we've fallen away a little bit from that. So issues like that will be picked up. And then there's a whole lot of footy issues. So it's a it, it's a, an important deal for the next, you know, Four to however many years. That's that's sort of how we're looking at it. I've got one for you. Go for it. Rule changes. Fuck me. <laughs> Sorry, Marshy, but oh, I'm sick to death of it, mate. Like, you, there needs to be a cap on rule changes. I, I, it's the only thing I get passionate about in footy. I'm actually, I can feel it coming in I my chest right coming. now. I, like, it just fucking drives me mad. We have these people that sit there and want to change rules. You change a rule, you have to change three. Fuck, no more. Just don't. What do we need to, what? What are we doing? Can we put a cap on that? Is that is that in the like? Yeah, I mean, am I speaking I'm interested facts in, here? Am I a, am I an old man? Uh, I think you you might be bordering an old man a little okay. bit here. I, I think this is my view, but I think the game right now on the field is is in good a shape as it's been. Yeah, in my time. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, so but I don't I reckon it was two or three years ago. You know, I think to the credit of you know Steve Hocking when he was um, in charge of footy at the AFL, I think he made some changes that at the time people thought you know the being at a you know, play on from full, from the kick-ins, the stand rule, which a lot of people don't like, but it's actually freed up the game. And I think we're seeing higher scoring. I think we've we've seen the last season and a half has been as good as anything I've seen. For sure, but but coaches are always going to come up with things to combat it. So you can't keep changing rules to combat a change in game style. It's going to evolve eventually, right? Like if defense is a thing and it's clogged up and it's not moving as much and a team's dominating, to beat that team – you're going to have to start attacking. Yeah. So the game will change. Well, that's – and that's that's a good point and I think that's probably been happening. But I don't think, you know – I just find that, that the AFL sometimes is a bit reactive, very reactive. It's like, all right, someone broke their leg by slotting in with their knee. Let's fucking ban the rule forever. <laughs> it's like it's happened once. Let's relax. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to get a headline here, aren't you? No, but... I'm not. I'm not. I, I Just my my opinion yeah. personally. Um, I don't really lose sleep over it. I get, I get, a, I get passionate about it at night. Um, but I just – that's the only thing that annoys me because I love the game. I think it's beautiful. I think if we keep changing the rules, it makes it hard to umpire. And the thing that I, I know this for a fact as a player, as soon as there's a rule change, players and coaches start training how to beat that rule. Yeah, and that's, and that's fair. And I think people don't like change though as a general comment. No. And I think we do, like putting aside your thoughts on each of the rule changes, you do have to continue to adapt. You do. And no matter what it is you're doing. So right? do you like so, the world game, soccer? I don't mind it. You don't mind it? Yeah. Three rule changes ever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that, that's an argument. Yeah. Um, the AFL is, I think a lot of fans have frustrations with the umpiring of the game and yeah. I think that flows on from your point there. Um, but I also think the game is in a better shape now than what it was a couple of years ago. Mm. And, you know, one thing that I got our team to do a few years ago was to go back over all the rule changes over the last 15, 20 years and say, do you think they are the right calls? And when you actually look at it, the rule changes. There haven't a been that many, mm. and b you look at it and go, I can understand. Oh, it doesn't look like there's some horrendous changes there. So you know maybe that's worth the little exercise. No, for look, you. and I, I totally. There's not one rule that stands out to me. Now I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here that I go. I genuinely hate, but it's just more the fact that it's like you make one, you've got to make two more, mm. and you make two more, and it just keeps cascading. I think we have the best game in the world. I just want to make. It's almost like going. Do we put a cap on? How many there can be over a ten-year period, or something like that. But yeah. again, this is why you, you're this is why you're the CEO, yeah. and I'm just a, I'm just on Twitter, you know, tweeting things. Uh, it's a passionate game, isn't yeah. it? So, do you? I mean, I think the safety bit is also one of the things that's informed the rules, and I think we're taking um, head knocks incredibly seriously as an Definitely. industry. Do you think that it's okay to be making 
rule changes if that's what the outcome is designed to achieve. Head knocks? Yeah. I think the head knocks, I'm not arguing with the head knocks for sure. I think for me it's more things like now you can't move on your man on the mark. It's like, Jesus, like, is that really going to – like, I get it opens up the 45s a bit more, but that was, you know, we're the best players in the world. Where? They're the best players in the world. Yeah. Just – it's going to get changed every now and then anyway. So, like, I think those little things annoy me. Like, yeah, you know, you're running around the back it. of the mark, like putting a 15-meter penalty for someone that's not got no idea what they're doing. It's hard to umpire. Yeah. No one likes it. Is it really changing the game? I don't think that one is. Um, things like that. So we should continue this over a beer. We really should. Maybe we'll go back to cathedral and we'll, we'll <laughs> sort it out. The big one as well that's uh, really interesting around, um, and I want to really want to chat to you about negotiation in a minute. But there's often a stat brought up, and I know it's not as simple as just naming a stat, but it's the payments uh, per. What's the word I'm looking here? So uh, the payment percentage yep. of revenue. Yep. These might not be the correct stats, but I think at the moment we're at 28%. Yep. So the AFL players get 28% of the game revenue. Yep. In the NBA, I know it's a different game. It's yep. got owners by, you know, owned privately, not as a as a as a corporation. It's 51% profit of the revenue. Where do we see that at? Where do we where would you like to that to get to? Yeah. And I think so this this often gets brought up. Australian and American sport are very different. different. And I'll just give you a quick snapshot of that. So in Australia, the, the AFL is responsible for the AFL competition, but also the grassroots, Auskick. everything that sits underneath that. In America, they're responsible for the NFL. It's privately owned. There's no responsibilities. Like they've got a college system that sits underneath the pros, and then they've got high school that sits underneath that, and they don't filter money from the top down to the bottom, whereas in the AFL we do. So we're, we're working in a different context, and you know the, the share is about what can the game afford, is 28 where we'd like to be forever? No, of course not. Um, is 28, was that the right number in the last deal? Uh, I think by definition it was. The players all voted for it. It's delivered good outcomes, but we'll keep pushing forward there. Like We're, we're pushing this time a joint deal, men's and women's. Yep. We're looking to bring that together under a 32% model. That's what we're pushing for, and that's that's being negotiated at the moment. So, you know, that's that'll be an ongoing point between us and the AFL forever is what the right number is. What's the... Are women's cricket doing better than the AFL at the moment? Like where can we learn from them? Well, I think they, either they probably started on this journey earlier than, than we did. Yep. Um, obviously the women's league is only seven years old. Um, so, or AFLW, I should say seven years old. So we started a bit later. I think cricket has really prioritized their women's side of this. They've got less players, but they've, and they've got a national team. But even at a domestic level now, they're getting paid a lot of money. So they've turned it into a career. And I think we're starting to see the commercial returns from that decision. Um, whereas at the moment in AFL, we've still got a little way to go there. So I think there's opportunity for us to look at what cricket's doing. We, we are competing for the same athletes. And that's mm. that's that's critical. Like if you can get paid twice as much in cricket as footy, as a you know talented young girl, we're making it much easier for cricket to grab those those athletes. So we're going to keep competing there. Um, but there's also things I'm sure they could learn from, you know, from what we're doing. I think footy has got the the supporters and the tribalism that cricket doesn't necessarily have. So, you know, we've got some real advantages, but we're, we're a little way behind and hopefully this CBA will help us bridge the gap. Yeah, we're excited to see what happens. Negotiation. Yes. You're the master of negotiation. <laughs> so I was thinking today, as much as everyone's learned um, thus far, we could have a bit of a workshop on like it. negotiation. What is the best way to negotiate? Let's talk about this. Anyone listening today that might be negotiating for a pay rise at work, negotiating with friends over, you know, someone with a car deal. What What do you hold up your sleeve? Do you have like a rule of one, two, three that you sort of live by or is it as simple as that without giving away all your tricks, I suppose? <laughs> you don't want to, you know, give too much away. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I'll try to order my thoughts here. I think firstly, I'm big on being prepared. So, you know, you're going to sit down with somebody and you're going to negotiate an outcome. You need to understand, you know, what's driving them, what information you need to put in front of them. Like for the AFL, for example, we won't sit down and negotiate a deal until we get, a, you know, a whole lot of information from them. Show us what your next, in, in this case, your next four years looks like and we will work out whether, you know, what we're going to put in front of you. Because we're trying to work out what's affordable, where are the opportunities, and that's critical to us. So get the information. Understand the people that you're negotiating with. You know, what's what are they actually? What are the things that are going to float their boat and tick their boxes? So that's important. Um, I think in industrial negotiations, like we go through, there's also the sort of element of leverage. 
you know, which um, basically means what are the things that, that you've got that in this case the AFL want from you and what are the things you could potentially take away. And so because it's a give and take, you know, they want certain things from us as part of this, just like if you're a good, you know, good young footballer or you're a good young employee, um, you got to work out do they want me and how much do they want me? And that'll be part of the conversation as to sort of trying to determine your value. And then I think it's about just you know holding your ground, being resolute. For us, a part of it is making sure the players are all on board. And you know, you know, you've been part of the meetings. We spend a lot of time with the players, getting them to understand what we're going for, their role in it, the importance of unity as we work through it. So that's probably a snapshot. But you know, happy to take any more questions, Dill. What's the analogy of never? negotiate against yourself i've heard you say this in the past and maybe don't want to you know ruin your own negotiation here but it's sort of don't argue against yourself so don't yeah yeah is that i mean i think i'll give you an example um maybe to illustrate like in the last men's deal we did back in 2017 we put a proposal to the afl that they didn't like very much and their response was unless you change that we're not going to talk to you and so that was them trying to get us to actually Go backwards and that's negotiating against yourself. So our view was, no, no, this is our proposal. We'll sit down and talk about it. And there was a lot that went on in the back and forth there, but we sat down and talked about the proposal, not what they wanted us to shift it. And mm. so that's just an, an element of, you know, being smart enough to know what is actually, you know, behind the messaging. You know, it's hard enough to negotiate with the other side, but if you start actually giving away your hand before you've got into it, you're not going to get a great outcome. It's interesting. So it's like when I'm on... Uh Facebook marketplace, for example, I'm really dumbing this down for me. So I'm trying to buy a new putter. Yep. And I say to the another guy, one. yeah, another one. I say to the guy, you know, it's 300 bucks. And he's, I said, would you take 250? He goes, no, have another crack. I say to him, how about you have a crack? Yeah. And then I make him come back to me. Yeah. There you go. There we go. Okay. There that's, you go. That's tip one. Obviously, I made the message clear there. there you go. We've done it. Yeah. Just, just dumbing it down for myself, basically. <laughs> um, Secondly on that, have you ever had any regrets with negotiation? Like has there been any mistakes that have been made, you know, not just with AFLPA stuff, but any stuff in general you've really learned a lesson? It doesn't have to be the actual rule itself, but just the lesson, was it? Um, oh, yeah. I, mean, I feel I, in context, I feel one for me that I need to improve on is the emotional side of things. And it's very easy to emotionally react if it's not what you want. But I think for me, I've got this analogy net like the 24-hour rule. I always yep. just try and never answer it in person, just go, I'll come back to you tomorrow. Yeah. Let it sort of like calm down a bit. Smart. Yeah. Oh, I think our, the biggest one for me probably was the 2019 AFLW negotiations. I think we, and it, it was well documented at the time, but we could have done some things better with our members before the negotiations yep. with the AFL. And that was back to the preparation. I don't think our players were on board with the direction or not all of them were on board with the direction we were trying to go. So that's a, that's a lesson. Um, but what I will say is just with experience, you get, you know, you learn, you pick up little things. You know, the first negotiation I did with Gil, um, I learned a lot about him that has been helpful moving forward. And I'm sure he'd say the same thing about me. And part of it's just experience. And okay, we tried that. It didn't work. That probably won't work. Let's try something else. Mm -hmm. And so having done a lot of these in cricket and footy, it's, you know, you absolutely learn from probably hopefully little mistakes, but I'd like to think the deals we've got in place over the journey have all been good deals. And, you know, the process we put around it is the players vote on it. So by definition, if the players have voted on it, you'd like to think that they've been happy with the deal. Going forward, Andrew Dillon, yep. new CEO, how's the, I'm sure you've already got a strong relationship with him being, you know, he was already a part of the, the organisation for a long time. Yep. Does that change a lot of things? Like do you, do you have any ideas yet if that will, a change of CEO? Of a yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I obviously I know him. I do know him well and I actually caught up with him this morning. Um, I think his speech um, when he, when he obviously was um, appointed, talk to grassroots probably a bit more than what we've we've heard and so that seems like that's that's where he's going to be prioritizing um which could be good but where does elite fit into that and that's part of the discussion so we'll wait and see but he's a good football person he's a good person um i know he'll have the game at heart and you know we've got a got some interesting issues we've got to keep working through and i'm sure we will tasmania where does that sit for you guys at the moment is it is it an option is it too far away to sort of start worrying about yet or yeah, is it the, something the players have, have we haven't talked about it a lot with the players. I think um, the AFL and ourselves have been talking about it. I think w my view is we'll just we'll get this CBA done for four years yep. and then we'll deal with Tassie. 
the AFL, I think, would like to include Tassie in this deal, which for us is just too much, too much that's not known at this point. So we will deal with Tassie sooner rather than later. But I think where we will be aligned with the AFL is we all want it to be successful. Mm. So what are the right, what's the list build rules going to look? I mean, you, you've been part of an expansion team up at the Giants and you got to get this stuff right because it's a big investment. And if you get it wrong, it's it, the flow through to every club is significant. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot of work to do. I don't think we should rush Tassie. I think we've got to, we've got a little bit of time and we need to get it right. Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest part about the, the new expansion team is getting the right people in first yeah. that set up the club. Like, 100%. I mean, that's the same in any organisation. It is. Isn't it? But I don't think I realised how, you know, until I left footy, that you, you think like the best team wins the grand final. But, you know, you look at the, what's happened really of late and it, the amount it has to do with the CEOs and the, yeah. the GMs, it's it all flows down. Like it's it's incredible. 100%. Like you look at Richmond and what they've been able to do and all the successful teams like Geelong and and everyone, it's it really shows that it is a business and it takes yep. everyone to be, to be set up properly. Yeah. Lastly, on the negotiation stuff, something that I'm very passionate about, I love less than a little bit less than the rule changes, but this one's that I just I love and I'm I'm always keen for. And you might think it's it's contrary to my other one where I want the rules to stay the same, but in an area that I want the AFL to grow is player movement. Yep. Like I love the ability for both ways. Like I think the play, you know, at the moment, players and clubs to be able to trade freely throughout the year. Is that something that we'll be looking at in the future? Do you see that happening? Do you see that's a problem with players? I know that, you know, you're on their side with it. We're all on their side yeah. with it. But what's the general I, consensus? I think, like, don't, don't mind more player movement. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good thing. It's interesting and it's also a way for clubs to bounce back. So I'm on board with that. What I don't like is trying to force players to move if they don't want to move. Mm. Now, we have contracts and contracts, I, I believe in the sanctity of the contract. So if you sign up the Giants for three years, unless both parties agree to change that, you should see that out. So you should see it out and they should see it out. But where if you came to the club and said, I've got family issues or I've got a reason I want to move or I've got a better opportunity and the club says, okay, then I'm okay with that. And, and likewise, if the club says to you, we think you'd be best if you moved on. You're not going to play for the next three years and you are happy to move, then that's okay. Um, what I do have a problem with is players under contract being told you're going, mm. which is the American system. And I think, you know, when you've got families and, you know, you've got a young family now, if you were to be told, you know, you're moving, you're moving from Melbourne to Tasmania, you know, that's a big decision. And I don't think that should be something that's taken away from you. Mm. Um, and I think the discussion around this, I find to be quite ridiculous because I look at it and go, if we're, if we're doing this for competitive balance, we're trying to make you know, teams at the bottom compete with the top, why don't we move on the CEOs or the coaches? Mm. Like how, how do you reckon that would go down if we said, righto, you know, Damien Hardwick, you're moving down to Tassie. But hang on, I'm not, not moving. Well, it's the same principle. We're actually asking these people to, to get up and move with, you know, it's not their choice. Mm. So I don't like that, but I'm really up for – you know, discussions around player movement. It's interesting because I was chatting with Sam McClure and Mitch Clear on the Tradies podcast recently and I sort of posed the same question to them and they said, realistically, it's actually already happening as well. At to, the to, a, to, to a degree. degree. Like to a degree. Brody Grundy, for example, and players like that. Yep. It's like, I don't know if he necessarily wanted to leave, but sort of in a way. And that, and that, that does happen, but yeah. ultimately it's still then the choice. It's a choice. And so players aren't coming to us and saying, this is bullshit, I've been forced out of the club you know, do something about it. It's more like, okay, you've, there's levers here to pull. And players are doing it. You know, we've seen players who have been in contract yeah. being able to get out. And I don't think the system is um, is broken at the moment. No, I don't either. I, I, think I like it. Good. I think yeah. it's great. I really like it. I've said lastly 10 times, this, this is my last one. AFL executives yes. earning more than the stars of our game. How does that sit with you? Oh, I don't think it's necessarily right. I mean, I've never attacked the, you know, the – AFL exec salaries is not something that I, I don't want to personalize this. I mean, ultimately that's a decision for the, for the commission. Um, but I think the game is about the players and the fans and, you know, ultimately we've got a game that's got a lot of players and that, that, that's a barrier to pay, paying everyone heaps of money. Um, we've got an average salary now of 400 grand in the men's game and about 50 odd thousand in the women's game. So the average player is well looked after in our game now. Could we pay the stars more? Yeah, we could, but it's actually not the PA's job to do that. Like our job is to negotiate the salary cap and the minimum salary, and then Close. it's up to the clubs and the players. And so people often talk about Wayne Carey getting paid a million bucks 20 years ago. Um, 
Like the clubs can do that. They could pay someone five million now if they want to. I mean, the cap and ASAs is about fifteen million now, mm. but they won't because they want to spread it across forty players. So it's there if they want to pay more. I think part of this CBA is to keep pushing things up. The rookie wage now, where's that at? The so cap B is at eighty five plus. Obviously, if they play, yeah. they'll get a match fee as well. See, that's the thing that uh, is I argue with Mitch and. Um, Sam about the most. So say this average wage of AFL players is 300 grand. That is taken in the consideration of players that play games. That's yep. that. So it takes out the lowest common players that are on 85 grand and majority of the time they're not playing AFL. So that is a, it's a fair drop if you're adding in those players too. Yeah, it is. So I would just say maybe put that one onto the list for the rookies up there um, to see if we can build the bottom tier up. Because I really do, th- like I, in saying from my experience, and I was always very vocal when... The teams came out. Again, I was extremely grateful for an opportunity. But to think that rookies, full-time wage, living in Sydney, and I know Eddie Maguire and uh, Jimmy Bartel, I think they had a go at the other night talking about the Kohler allowance and stuff. The Kohler allowance, yeah, okay, but Buddy Franklin probably doesn't need an extra 500 grand. But yep. for guys moving up to Sydney on rookie wages, um, living in the most expensive city in Australia, uh, it's it's a, it was a hard – Again, it's very hard talking about this because there's a lot of people in the community that might say, don't cry poor, which we're not. But when you, I was going out for lunch in Sydney with guys that were probably earning what I was a month. Yeah. And I was earning in a year. Yeah. And like, I think that's a really fair point. But this is where we come at, we, there's sort of, we come at odds with the highest paid players. Because yeah. you're, I agree with you. We need to keep pushing up the minimum. Um, and there's a saying that a rising tide floats all boats. Like that's a pushing it up. But at the same time, that's got to be taken out of the pool. So yeah. that's where the conflict comes. And then you get players in the middle that get squeezed. And, you know, it's an ongoing battle, um, particularly with so many players. Get me in there, mate. I need to, I need to fight for some of these yeah, rookies come out on, there. Yeah, come on, No, I love it. Hey, uh, Marshy, congratulations, mate. In all seriousness, it's an honour to have you on the show. You're doing such a great job for all the players, and I, I say that. Um, I haven't asked them all, but I'm, I'm saying it on behalf of them because I know the respect uh, they have for you and the whole team at the AFLPA. Thank you. Doing a great job. Um, thank you so much to the AFLPA as well for everything they've done for myself personally and my family. And um, can't wait to see what's next for you guys for the next 50 years. It's going to be pretty special and leading the forefront of – uh, all the players' associations across Australia for sure. So thank you again. Thanks, Dill. Very good to see you, mate, and to see your digs here. It's uh, mighty impressive. So um, thanks for your support. Oh, shit. Before we go as well, the doco. Yeah. Fight for the Right premiering on Fox Footy. Fox Footy, 6th yeah. of June. Um, so we're going to have a little shindig on the 4th of June. I hope yeah. you can hope you can make it. Um, but we, yeah, mate, it's, look, it's, it's important that we celebrate this. It's um, What's on the doco? The doco is going to be a number of interviews with the people that set up the PA right through to now and talking about the evolution. So, you know, we've got the likes of, you know, Jeff Pryor who started at the Madden Brothers, um, not the musicians, but the footballers. <laughs> we've got even Andrew Demetrio, who obviously, yeah, he ran the PA for a while. You know, Matt Finnis, Brendan Gale, they probably feature me a little bit as well. So, um, you know, Lee Matthews, the, the people that sort of set up the PA, and it's really just telling our story mm-hmm. from, you know, you talked about the car parks and um, tickets and all the rest of it to where we're at now, free agency and a you know, revenue share and the W competition and, you know, how we battled through COVID and the Essendon saga and all that stuff is going to be captured. So I reckon for a footy fan, um, it's going to be a good good watch. I haven't seen it yet, but it's um, I'm hearing it's it's come together really well. Unreal. Six of June, fight for the right on AFL uh, on Fox Footy. Sorry, make sure you check it out, ladies and gentlemen. We'll also share the, the show notes and um, all the links to that in the show notes as well once it once it comes out, mate. So um, thanks, good again. man. Thanks for your support. Cheers. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another Producey podcast. If you enjoyed the show, that'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, subscribe, tap the bell, leave a review, or even share with one of your friends, or you could do them all. If you want to get in touch to share feedback, suggest a guest, or advertise with one of our podcasts, then email hello at producer.com. Thanks for tuning in. Iliaxx. <laughs>